I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Ned Benedict on the show today. Ned is the partner in Grand Cru Selections and has a long history in the wine business in New York. A man with a true knowledge and true stories that are not only entertaining, but also lend a lot of perspective to what's been happening in New York and the wine market in the last few years. Ned Benedict on the show today. Ned is the partner at Grand Cru Selections and all around Bon Vivant. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about who you are. Who are you? Who am I? Um, so... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, let's take it back then, Let, a little bit. <laughs> Career in the restaurant industry. Okay, so I started in the mid-80s in Manhattan Okay. after college. Sure. I moved to New York, and I needed some money. Yeah, well, those I are good motivations. And I had no motivations. skills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I know where you I ended up. I had nothing to uh, exchange for money. Yeah. And every month, I had to pay my rent. I moved into an apartment for $400 a month. Wow. And every month, I needed to pay that. So I said... <laughs> Is that how the system works these I days? I could steal stuff and sell it, right. or you yeah. know, a parallel move would be get a job <laughs> like, as a waiter, waiter in a restaurant. So I did that, and uh, you know, I needed money, and I didn't literally had no idea how to do it. But I knew I wanted to move to New York. I, I think I had recently gradu- uh, graduated from college. I was an English major. There's obviously yeah. nothing to do with that, right? Um, and I had a car, I don't want to get too tangential, and I got some pulled over with like no insurance, blah, 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 okay, you okay. know, and they went, so the book at me, I said, where can you go where you don't need a car? Manhattan. Got at it. At the time. Yeah. So I moved to Manhattan. And then I got a job in a restaurant, like right off 6th Avenue and like 15th Street. But you were saying it was like something sketchy where oh, it was dudes sketchy, were violent and... Where the owner was like this Greek guy who only came at the end of the night to take the cash and he couldn't come any other time because he was like an angry drinking guy and he would get in fights with the patrons. Oh, okay. And the patrons are the kind of people that would get in fist fights. And that was my first restaurant job. And, and how long was that? How, to, how long to last? Yeah. Well, probably like two or three months. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought you were about to be like, yeah, I was there for like four <laughs> three years. Three or four years. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like Fight Club. I threw some punches and they threw some punches well, back. You know, the, I re- the, the thing I remember is the service, 
the first day, the guy I was trailing who was chain smoking and uh, while and, while he was working, probably you know drinking, you know the whole thing. And um, he says, make sure after each table you take the napkin out of the garlic bread and flip it over, greasy side down. You know, no way. So it yeah. looks fresh. Yeah. And I said, hey, brilliant tip. Yeah. This is gonna be sweet. <laughs> But then you kinda... I'll never forget that. I go, and this was my first restaurant job. I'd yeah. never worked in a restaurant as a waiter before in my life. Yeah. And I was in now a, out of college. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I was working my way through high school, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. like, wow. And you this didn't is learn that. Nasty. You didn't learn that from Henry James. Like no, the, the I, you flipped know, garlic trick. I said, this is probably not my best career move, but <laughs> right, whatever. But and then it went money. on from there. Uh, many. More restaurants. <laughs> but let's talk about some of those. So you, you Some of those were... Uh, made it to Keens. I made it to Keens, which was a, an enormous step up. It was a legitimate restaurant in the, what, Herald Square area and the land of the mutton chop. But let and me, why is it that I must eat this with a mint jelly? You, you must not. Okay. And it's not really mutton. Okay. Oh, yeah? No. It's lamb. Oh. And you should never, obviously... What's eat. the difference between mutton and lamb? I'm just dumb, dumb person. Uh, mutton is an aged, okay. a, a very uh, an aged portion of gaminess. Okay, that actually you would not want to eat anyway. Uh huh. So it's a moot point. No one would eat a mutton chop in New York. But they give it to you with the mint jelly. Of course they do. So what should I do with that implement? Give it back to them. I see. <laughs> Does that make it easier that they don't have to flip it over? I mean, when was the last time you went somewhere and someone asked with their lamb chops if they had was any mint jelly? I, I, gotta I mean, be, my, my, my mother does. I got to be honest with you. When I started my career, I was asked several times. Okay, well, then like, you're in the wrong restaurant. Probably. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> That's how you know <laughs> that you need to move. <laughs> this was a long time ago. But, okay. You know. I vaguely remember that we did. I mean, I worked at Keene's for quite a while. I don't know. What was it, like four, six years? Five, I think six two years? years. I think almost. Two years. I think so. Well, I, someone had that wrong then. But well, I may have, you know, I know I wrote the dates down. It was probably yeah. incorrect. Because yeah. just the last couple of days, I've they all ended these, in BC. Was that? Uh... All these restaurants that I'd worked at that I'd forgotten about kept cropping up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like all, I mean, I forgot all these places. And I can't even go into them all because ha- most of them I can't remember the names of them. So the story's not very good. But. There was, you know, I, you know, I got around. So you're at Keens. And what's I'm at Keens. What's the wine program like? There's a guy named Phil Nugent there, who's the GM. And he really liked wine a lot. And he really liked Burgundy. And I, I guess Bordeaux as well. But I remember Burgundy. And, uh, you know, I remember saying, wow. You know, I remember like the first Volnay. And I said, I like this. And it made a really big impression on me. And he was good and very uh, good at sort of drawing, you know, leading you along. You know, because he's a GM of a restaurant. So, uh, you know, he's got a lot of things on his plate. Yeah. So uh, he, he was very good. Like he's he's still in the wine business somewhere. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was a young guy then. He was still, I think he was in his 20s. Um, and it was, it started, you know, and from that point on, and I just felt I had a natural aptitude for tasting wine. Like, it, it wasn't hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, so I, I, and I enjoyed the whole concept from, you know, reading about it, the theory behind it, you know, what everyone likes about the wine business. Yeah. So, uh, Dan Lerner was there as the maitre d'. Okay. Which is a whole nother hilarious subject matter, but, uh, he was a maitre d' making the Caesar salad type table side. Oh yeah. He he made the Caesar uh, salad. And a very good one. 
Well, I'll have to ask him sometime. Well, you, I'm sure you know Dan. I do Everyone quite knows well. Dan. Yeah, Every, everybody in New York, he's someone is I like a lot, and I didn't it's, know about this hidden Caesar salad. Tell and he can do a Dover sole like nobody's business. Ah, he take those bones right off like <laughs> a tuxedo. And um, so he was there. We were there. We were friendly, and you know, I was there for a while. He left. He left and went to Tavern on the Green as the wine director as Warner Leroy was going to, you know, turn the tavern into a serious wine destination. Oh, yeah. He had a big warehouse full of wine, Long Island. Um, in fact, one time we went there and looked at it all, and there was just piles of wine. He'd obviously bought some cellars. Some of the cases were busted open, and it was a big mess, but there was amazing stuff. And so very briefly, I worked there with him. Uh, well, I mean, what was Warner Leroy like? I mean, it was kind of legendary. He was, thing. you know, kind of the way, you know, he lived across the street at the Dakota. Oh, he lived at the Dakota? In the giant place. I remember going there. And, um, you know, he was, he was big time. You know, he was flashy. He was large. And he wore, you know, like big green suit jackets. And he talked big. And he was, you know, a lot of Barnum and Bailey there. Oh, yeah? Okay. So he's cool. He's a nice guy. Um, but, you know, he didn't actually run the restaurant. Right. Um, there was people for that. There was people for that. And those people were, you know, they were, you know, uh, lifers. It was a union restaurant, et cetera. And so what's that mean? We all know what in, happened. In right? reality. In reality, you know, like I said, you know, when your break came, you know, you dropped your tray on the floor and you took your break. <laughs> and whatever was on that tray was broken. <laughs> But you and the guy, I told you, the guy, yeah. the cashier, I wish I could remember the name. He's such a nice guy. He was in the middle of the kitchen in like a little bulletproof toll booth type situation. In the middle of the kitchen, there's bulletproof the kitchen. glass. I think it was bulletproof. That's what I like to say. I don't know if it really was, Just but he was definitely case. in this little room. <laughs> the box. chef wants to like go off I don't know, in on case one of the waiters like try to strangle you or right, something right. or, you know, whatever. <laughs> so you'd slide the thing in on, on the little. No you know, way you slide like the, the subway, thing in. You know, like the subway booth, you know, you slide the thing in there and he like process the card or whatever it was or whatever he did and then slide it back out you take it I, why it was in the kitchen i don't know <laughs> i don't know the whole thing was but it really wasn't strange. like he opened the door and said hello it was like you slid it through a, a slot i know that i liked him and he was really very nice so he must have come out occasionally and yeah. and and given you a paycheck and, for instance and he must have done some i must have given him a glass of wine or something yeah. you know there must have been some back and forth but i just remember being very impressed that the restaurant was so large that they could have this guy in a booth in the kitchen in the kitchen you know i mean it was cool uh but so what were you opening up there we opened up uh, a lot of old stuff we sold a lot of old stuff it was kind of cool there was no wine culture you um, mean besides you and dan yeah we were it. like you know airdropped in to yeah. try and and you know how that works out it doesn't usually you know. not very well you know we opened an old leaky bottle of like 1800 lafitte i remember i remember him say i said should i do it? and he's going like well, I'm not going to stop you. And <laughs> <laughs> that sounds well, like you're my boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask one of those guys with the tray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the whole thing was hysterical. We, uh, you know, so it was fun. It was a fun little interlude that that didn't last. I think it was some sort of union thing, and they came back or something and offered me a job as like a captain in the crystal room, which was the apex. You know, that was and money. You know, and it was a well-paying job, and I was like, wow. I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you ever were in the crystal room. The I, I never, green, I never was. I mean, I've heard, you've heard, heard stories. the thing. Yeah. But I've never I mean, heard. it was literally everything that you can imagine. Yeah. There's a glass room in the middle of the woods. 
surrounded by people and blenders making margaritas and it was whatever but yeah. also like the giant the michael uh, bloomberg ivy <laughs> statues of bear bears and stuff right oh yeah yeah mm. tiffany's like really and then and you know lots of valuable uh tiffany things that was warner's thing and he had a whole uh a woman who would just work on the decor oh really and the lighting and the lights that's what we have at this, this apartment yeah that's i what can I tell do. obviously that you have your own staff uh, <laughs> <laughs> this pulp fiction uh, poster especially is uh hanging in a way that she recommended yeah. you need to give her him a raise <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, tavern so, on the green madness. so after tavern that didn't last long i just whatever i went someplace else maybe uh royalton 44 maybe for oh, a okay, while because sure. i remember well, that was hitting then right I mean, it was right of, at the peak. Yeah. I went in, and it was the Royalton was super brand new, whatever they just renovated. And yeah. Jeffrey Zakarian was there. It's the first time I met That's him. That's right. And he was actually, you know, I don't, you know, he's turned into, I guess, a big TV guy, which I don't really follow, but he could cook. Yeah, well, he was he at was, Le Cirque and stuff. He I was mean, still, exactly. Yeah. He was at Le Cirque. It was no and joke. And he worked at Le Cirque with, of, amongst others, David Boulay. And Boulay came in once and sat in one of those. I don't know if you ever saw the Royal the those giant green right at the end pods. Of it. And when I went, there was like a yellow Lamborghini out, and I'm talking at the end. What was the that, end of uh, the Was day. that Bruno? Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but at the end of times, right before the renovation, right. we went with the Philippe Stark statues yeah, yeah, yeah. and the purple And the little champagne weird. bar yeah. in the corner. I mean, and, it was cool, uh, especially for that time. I mean, it was... I mean, I think it was a lot cooler when you were there. Yeah. When I was there, it was B&T, I, but it, it with the last, Lamborghini outside. It didn't last a long yeah. time, no. But... For that moment with him, so Boulay came in and he, and you know, he's like, grabs me because I was like the best waiter there. Oh, okay. By far, which well, says everything you need to know about the Royal Kitchen. So, yeah, you know, I was like the best. And so, anyway. You, you did the, the trick with the garlic bread uh, napkin. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. he was like, I, I said, give me a fresh napkin. <laughs> <Yeah. stat." laughs> I need three or four clean napkins. This is big. But there's people that with Zakarian, because I worked for Zakarian for a moment, right. and there's people with Zakarian still today that met, that worked with him there, that he met there. He brought him yeah, yeah, all yeah. the way through all town and all of that. I liked him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't talk to him anymore, but I did like him. Uh, he was, I thought he was a sharp guy. Um, uh, Boulay came in. I'd never met him before. Zakarian pulls me aside. Take care of that table. That's your only table. Make that guy happy. Okay, okay, okay. Relax. All right. You know, so I walk over to the table. It's David Blay. I'd never met him before. I kind of heard of him, but you know, not you know. Sure. It was kind of this must have been the '89 ish. Okay, so he's at like that. at that time. No, he's already opened. He's Boulay, already opened but Boulay. It wasn't super well known yet. Yeah. You know, he, he was still Tribeca wasn't a big destination. No, you know, still warehouse. It was still a long way to go. Yeah. From the Upper East Side mm-hmm. to Tribeca, and, you know, I mean, now people don't bat an eye, but in those right. days. It was harder, you know. Chanterelle was there, but there wasn't a whole lot else. So, um, anyway, you know, I go over to talk to Boulay, and of course, you know, he mumbles, and he, you know, and I go, I get closer and closer and closer and closer, and he mumbles and quieter and quieter. I go, I go back to Zakarian. I don't know what, the, <laughs> no fucking idea what that guy. You went back to Zakarian. Yeah. He said you I didn't said, know what he said. And he goes, "Don't worry, I'll just, I'll, I know, I'll send, I'll send something." I said, "Great," because <laughs> I got no game here. I have. I don't have a tactic. I love how here. you went in all game. Oh, I got it. And then I could uh, hand him my dupe pad, Marlon and he Brando could write something down for me. Started uh, whispering to you in, you in know, the I, Godfather. I thought it was really weird. And he picked out a really nice bottle of wine on his own. Uh, didn't need any help. And then 
anyway, you know, it was that started it. And so you're I, like, I gotta go hear this man sometime. I got, so I don't know what happened. The next thing I know, I'm applying yeah, for you're a job working at for him Boulay, next. right? Yeah. Again, my friend Dan Lerner had started as the lunch maitre d at Boulay, and this was around 1990, 89. I'm not so the golden era. I'm not the, sure. The, hitting yeah, the beginning, the yeah. beginning of the golden era, and good timing on my part for once. Uh, and then I get there, and you know, it's a completely French-run organization. Although Boulay is actually American, you know, he's French ancestry, and the um, and the staff was. Almost exclusively French, the management, and you know, strict. Yeah, and not necessarily fair. Uh, <laughs> sure, but it was fine. I have was, no idea from personal experience well, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly, but. exactly. Well, you know better than anyway. So that was the start of that. I started there, and I stayed till it end. This was the original Boulet until it closed its doors, and you know, '96, uh, I guess. And I learned a lot there. You know, I learned a lot about wine from all these guys. You tasted everything at your Garidon. There was a lot of good French captains with a lot of wine knowledge that had come, um, you know, a long way. And he would bring them in. Uh, um, you know, Michel Couvreau, who works at Per Se now, was sure. a captain there. Um, he Who's came... the sommelier now at Per Se. Uh, I'm sorry. Right. Sommelier at Per Se. And now uh, also Jean-Luc was there, right? Jean-Luc was there. So, and he was a front at the beginning. Wow. And so that's, you know... and. He, he, he was he was very, very wine knowledgeable, but became much more wine knowledgeable. And you know, and I, you guys had like a group. Yeah, we had a group. We had a good group. Um, uh, and there was a bunch of other people there. I can't name all. But of I them. mean, your tasting group was like John Luke and Couvreau. So it's the it was guys also who, you know daily thing. You know, you'd be tasting every day. Yeah. All you know, and like I said the other day, you taste the same wine three times in one week. You say, you know, I have a fairly good idea how that Neon Chassagne is tasting. Yeah. Well, at least I mean, you, you know, say it better than me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough one to pronounce sometimes. Yeah, uh, I don't know. You know, that's a general statement about when anybody yeah. ever asks me advice about the wine business, I say go get a job at a decent restaurant. Yeah, make friends with the wine director or and taste. Yeah, and that's was a huge advantage for me. I tasted all sorts of wines. But I mean, what you were tasting then, uh, maybe a little bit more expensive if that were that wine today. Uh, I remember tasting Chateau Simon. But you know, I mean, that's that's not one that's super escalated in price. But certain other things, I would imagine, certain burgundies have uh, maybe yeah. gotten a little bit more expensive since yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, we so one of the things was there was uh, a couple of years after if it got four stars, it, it was incredibly busy restaurant and very busy at lunch and dinner. Lots of uh, you know, you do three turns at night every night, which mm -hmm. people don't really do anymore, right? Because there's more that, variety. But now there was such such a concentration of clientele, we were willing to go to that restaurant, and you know, it was tough conditions. Um, I was just a, at the beginning a a, a food runner or ex, uh, what do you call it? Expediter? No, then I became the expediter. Expediter there is a tough job. Probably. Is a very tough job. And Anybody yelling in a lot of face? places, it's it's a cook. Because right. they know the kitchen, the food, right. the plating. The, there it was a waiter. And, you know, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot from David Boulay. I give, you know, I credit him with a lot of my mentality today. He was everything that anyone's ever said about him. I mean, he was, everybody had a tasting menu. He would change things all the time in the middle of service. And you, as the expediter, had to figure it out without asking him. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. Yeah. 
So, you know, you'd be like, huh, you know, he just <laughs> changed the sauce on the same dish that he just sent to a different table, but he crossed it off a different dupe, which means he's sending that dish maybe to the table the other one was supposed to go to. Maybe he thinks they had that sauce on a previous dish in their 15 course menu, or maybe the last time they came. I see. But there's only one sure thing. Don't ask. Don't him. ask him. <laughs> <laughs> and if the plates goes to the wrong table, Be- and uh, you didn't ask, right? then he really gets cranky. The, then, then you can hear him? Then he's not oh, whispering yeah. anymore? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's the hidden. I got along with, you know, he was, he has fantastic sense of humor. It's, and what, what I, I mean by fantastic, I mean, just like mine. He's <laughs> super. So like a, he had a good palate too. Cause yeah. Also, Cause he agreed with everything. Yeah. I did. No, he, uh, he, um, has, he's very sarcastic and I, he cracked, he still to this day, I see him somewhat frequently. He's very, very funny. I, he cracks me up, but you know, he was, he, I had a surreal experience working for him. I, I worked for one day at Danube. Oh, you did? Yeah, and, you know, things weren't a paragon of uh, <clears throat> of organization, and I wasn't sure exactly where something was. Right. Because, really, no one was sure where, no. it, where it was. And I uh, searched for it, yeah. and I uh, went into different rooms to right. search for it, you know, while right. someone was expecting it to arrive yeah. at their table. Uh-huh. And I came across this guy that was like straight out of Blade Runner. Like he was this Asian guy like pulling apart eyeballs down there. Like just in a room by himself. Like not in front of other people or right. not necessarily really a prep kitchen. More like a, I don't know. Maybe not even in the restaurant business. Yeah. I, 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 it was just, uh, you know, a little bizarre. Yeah. it's It was a very uh, unstructured. It, it was much like Blade Runner where the guy's like, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold. <laughs> like that guy, the eye guy. It was it was exactly that guy. That's what he's doing now. He's in the basement of old Danube. So you didn't, uh, as a result, stick around. No, but more. I made a lot of money on that day. You so did? Someone palmed me 100. And you it, see, they it, thought you were, obviously, that you were yeah. uh, and a it became And it ended up becoming a good friend of mine. Really? Like, yeah, that's a true story. That's yeah. great. Yeah, regular customer and stuff. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't see you, you don't, you don't seem Danubian to I, me. I couldn't see me either. There was a maitre d' there at the time at Boulay, back to Boulay. Okay. And his name is Dominique Simon. He has his own wine distribution company now. And he was sort of a semi-famous uh, or infamous uh, French maitre d'. And they... There's a play that was very popular called Fully Committed. I don't know if you yeah, ever heard of it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, about the... At least the, 10 one, years ago. The girl, and it was a single drama about her reservation history of Boulay, right? Right. She was a reservationist. Right, and it was two people who were reservationists wrote it, and I did see it, and it, I think I saw it twice. And he played this Dominique as well as Boulay. I think Boulay was all off stage, just, in, you know, a voice. But they didn't use their names. They were just Maybe like not. the French chef or whatever. Maybe not. Maybe they didn't. I don't, you know, it's, it's been a long time. Yeah. So I don't remember. And Dominique was this, you know. Because fully committed means we don't have any more tables to give. Which is a, some term that somebody yeah. worked there came up. And, you know, people yeah. used to sneer, what the hell does fully committed mean? It means no table. <laughs> <laughs> it means the thing you're looking for is not available at this time or ever. It means your name is not Bill Cosby. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, whatever. It means despair and heartbreak. Uh, even even celebrities, it was really? difficult for them to. At because that time. it was it was so many people coming in and out that you know they'd come once or twice and they'd say like you know this is I'm not special enough here. There's too many people. John George used to come a lot. He was great. Couldn't, oh yeah, super nice. Oh, he he's super all nice. nice. I just a, didn't know that. He I still Boulay remember to this day. Buds. He still he sees me sometimes, and I know he goes, 
Who is that yeah, guy? Yeah, I like, get that. I was a waiter, too. table thirty-two. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, By the sconce, it right. was red. Um, so uh, Dominique Simon. So he was sort of an infamous uh, French maitre d', really uh, demanding, but um, really nice guy. Actually, underneath it all, or on top of it all, and then he, for whatever reason, knew I was interested in wine. I'd expressed interest to him. I talk. I guess I'd talked to him about it. I don't remember exactly anymore. But um, and then one day he said, "You want to come to Burgundy with me?" Oh wow! And it was like '93, something like that. And we went to Burgundy first time, and tasted out of barrel, and what's been the winter, obviously. And we usually go on like January or something. Something like January to you know taste out of barrel and check out the new vintage. You know, because you get that little snapshot that you don't get again after the wine's bottled for a few years. Um, and we, and, you know, I think I said to you the other day, I, I know the first day, I don't know, I think it was in the afternoon, I went to Fred Meunier, mm -hmm. and I was like, this is nice. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. You know, this is my kind of Pinot. So, and this was, we were tasting, I remember, 80, 86, 87, 88, and I think in there was... I believe it was 88 VV. Mm -hmm. At that time, for a couple of years, he made two cuvées, maybe 80, I think, eight, was it 86? I can't remember anymore which vintages were the, the VAVs. maybe 86 and 88, something like that. 87 was beautiful, though. Obviously not a well-regarded vintage anymore, but his, his wines are beautiful. And I believe his first vintage was 1985. So he was, you know, this was the beginning for him, relatively. Um... And we tasted in his amazing house. I don't know if you've ever seen. No, I've not. Okay. It's like an incredible chateau. Okay. And um, he lives next door to Christophe Rumier. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they'd ever, I think at one point they hadn't seen each other in 10 years. Really? Next you know, door. It's a very French, Burgund you know, Burgundian, you know. I mean, uh, Rouleau came with us and tasted at Rumier recently. Uh, or met us there at the same time or whatever. And it was like, oh, I haven't been there in like, you know, since I was a teenager or something. Wow. You know, and you're like, how can that happen? Right, because it's really not that far away. And they're sort of somewhat moving somewhat social circles. And they, you know, right. it's, it's just not, they don't do it. Yeah. And so it's just like one of those amazing things that I never understood about Burgundy. Anyway, so, you know, we go back to New York. I really, the trip, you know, I said, I really like Burgundy more now yeah and it's nice here you know yeah. we stayed i think we may have stayed with the wasserman family i'm not sure okay but i remember like the first night i saw rusty Staub was in their kitchen and he was cooking and you know i was like a mets fan or whatever yeah. and i was like that's that's pretty cool i saw rusty the other day yeah he's great about Everyone, a month ago he's great and, and i was like uh who's got the best uh pitching in baseball and he's like well we're not bad <laughs> <laughs> Rusty's fabulous. I only ever see him in France. I, yeah, oh, I yeah? He, I think he lives in Florida now. Uh, and he travels yeah. all the he time. He used to come to Palm Beach all the time. He, 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 with I, his truffle. I, and he travels a lot. Mm -hmm. With his what? Truffle. He used to bring his own truffle to the restaurant. Was there a cork? Famous for it. Never saw this? Corkage? Never, have, never saw this happen? No, I don't think so. Well known for it. We did it a lot. Was I didn't a, know that. Like a regular truffle bringer. Are you allowed to do that? If you're Rusty Stop. Yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> no, no. Okay. <laughs> I've only seen two people bring a truffle to a restaurant, Rusty Stab and Masa Takayama. Yeah. I think I heard that story. Yeah. I might have heard that story actually from you. Uh, maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, we go back. I go, I'm back in the dining room then. So I was a waiter by then. No more expediting. 
I think I got fired from that. And uh, <laughs> you asked the, ask the question, and he's like, "That's it, you're out of here." <laughs> he was oh, he was incredible. He go go home. Oh yeah, he would just tell you to go home. Oh yeah, and people would leave. Oh and then, yeah, of course he'd do it to like the, some waiter wouldn't show the dish to the chef. Uh huh. He, he had to see out. every dish, which yeah. obviously he really couldn't. Right. But if you, whoa, yeah, is you if you're the guy. And he really wants to see the dish on that table, and you didn't. Yeah. And you can try and pretend and say, I showed it to you, but you look, and he'd right. be like, yeah? Yeah. Go home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And, and and did go home mean that you could come back the next day? Or? Oh, yeah, you come back the next day, but two things. You didn't get paid. Oh. Got really mad. Uh-huh. And then the guys in the dining room got even madder, because now, instead of four stations... Right. Now there's five, and they're not so happy. I mean, there's three. Three. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. Or, or, you know... Yeah, you cover one more station. So there's four captains and three waiters, so right. those three waiters are like... Sprinting, yep. you know, the whole thing with silverware in your pocket. You know, you bump mm-hmm. into me and you you rattle and all that stuff. So you had to like hide the demi tasse spoons because there weren't enough to yeah, go. Yeah, you know, there was yeah. this one guy. The classic. I'm not going to name him just because you know whatever. Yeah. You know, every Dan time you Warner. bump, you know, <laughs> Dan was long gone by then. He'd gone off to the pastures of, of Michael Skernick. The big Sayoset. Yeah, he he was like one of the top first three guys. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, I I want to say second employee, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, Dan. He Michael came. Mr. Skernick came. And Mr. Skernick. I remember him in those <laughs> days. And he was, I mean, Boulay was probably a big account. And I remember that's where I met Michael Skernick. He was the salesperson oh, yeah. for he, that he restaurant. He was actually a salesperson. And he time. was one tough guy. Michael Skernick was one tough guy? He had the very tall, mean, Swiss maitre d', like, tiptoeing. No way. Michael was tough. How? how what? What? I just, <laughs> like what does that mean i mean he was not you know he was he was no you know nobody's fool yeah skarnik from day one was he knew what he wanted and you know he you know people don't mess with him i i just i met a different michael skarnik i don't know i just always oh, really? like mr jolly good times oh yeah he is especially now yeah because he's out. sitting on top of the mountain right. but even in those days when he wasn't he was you know he's he was an impressive guy um, An example would be, I just remember him, you know, lacing into this guy in the dining room, like at eleven thirty before service, and I was like, "Whoa, most people don't talk to him that way." <laughs> <laughs> you know, ouch. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to take it out on me later. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. I don't know. I wasn't, you know. Huh. Anyway, uh, so I get back from the trip, and like every waiter you've ever seen. I decide I'm only going to sell two wines anymore. Yeah. And what, you know, it was decided. We bought some uh, Meunier Musigny because all these vintages were available for whatever reason in those days. It's a different story. They were available. There was multiple vintages. Of course, you can't only dream of that now. And we brought them in directly because he had them for sale. And um, from Le Cerbet, Becky Wasserman, who, like with me, like everyone else, that was, you know, she was a huge assist in introducing burgundy to americans to, to me and yeah. and other people i mean she's you know everyone knows her and it's all true mm-hmm. and uh she's she seems- married to also to russell hone i don't yeah. know if you've ever at that time though yes okay uh, the, since i've known her okay yes um i think they got married i think it's it's like 85 maybe okay but i could be wrong um and russell's you know pretty talk good about cook. some it's the best restaurant in the Cote d'Or, and uh, 
and he's funny as hell. Oh yeah, yeah. So but, I, I've never heard him really speak. Oh yeah, he's great. Hey, Russell's he's the, he's a big man. He's a very very large man. He getting him in a cab in New York is yeah. Not a imagine. small feat. But I mean, some of these sellers also has to be a little difficult. For sure. I'm trying, where did he used to go there? He had to crouch. I can't remember where it was. Yes, for sure. I, he used to go to sellers with us. He was very friendly with uh, Cat Yard, Sylvain Cat Yard. Yeah, sure. And uh, One of who producers. stuttered at that time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he really liked Russell. So anytime we went to Cat Yard, it was always with him. He oft times went to uh, uh, Lafarge mm -hmm. at that, in those days. Good one. Yeah. Still, t I mean, yeah. so. Even the pasta ground. It, exactly. You know Which cuvee? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I actually don't like the expression one as much. Right. Um, and the, the last couple of years, like 09, 10, 8, I mean, they're just, the wines are spectacular. I mean, they always, I've always liked them, but I mean, yeah, they ha in my opinion, they haven't missed a beat for. Three was a little rough. Oh, three? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for, for everybody. Almost everybody. Yeah. But I just mentioned. Okay. Do we know this? Okay, everybody. <laughs> Sell your O3s. I'm just saying. It was. It, it was a, a tough. It wasn't was, a baller wine for Lafarge. I no. Think. Yeah. Although Vivino there's more than a good. few producers who think to this day that 2003 will produce Christophe Rumey being one of them. Mm. Maybe for Rumey, Potentially great wines. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I and, can and see And there's it. more There's more than a few people. On paper, I can see it. I just, yeah, you know. I haven't well, seen it in yeah. the glass so much. I don't know. Uh, some people still have some. Um, anyway, so I got sidetracked again, but so I went back to the restaurant and I only, and we had this Musini from Mounier and yeah. I remember it was $125 on the list and we had the same markup as everybody else. So you know what we paid for it. And there was quite a bit of it and it was $125. Yeah. And even in those days, that wasn't a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, for that wine. And I think we were, I think it was like the 87 we were, we were, and so of course, like every, waiter that you've ever known i decided i'm going to try and sell every customer in my section on every shift a bottle of uh, musini so how would that go down as i went through i chopped a lot of wood let me tell you man i moved a lot of cases however you but know I mean, if you ask for white wine you still got offered musini and if you ask yeah, for sancerre i, I offered that. you musini right right if you offered me california if you wanted california wine i do you mean the red I was chardonnay deaf. madam i had the deef <laughs> Uh, you know, and that was my go-to. Eh? <laughs> exactly. What did you say? I'm French. Yeah. Eh? Speaking to this. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, I, I turned a lot of people onto that wine, and obviously, oh, every thanks. Can, thanks a lot. Exactly. Um, and every single person, obviously, you know, even old leather tongues, they love that wine. Yeah. And at lunch, on the same trip, we had gotten all this Catyard uh, Malconsort. Ah. And I think it was, it was 91, I'm pretty sure it was 91 or 92. It was 91 or 92, I can't remember now. I'm and that was 75 bucks. Very big fan of that wine. That's a very good wine, and it's very it's expensive it was now. some time. Yeah, it was, and Malcosaurus yeah. can be a very sexy vineyard in the right hands. And, um, and that was 75 bucks, so that was my lunch wine. Because 75 <laughs> was okay at lunch. It was a four-star restaurant, that was fine. <laughs> and 125 at dinner was no problem for, for a lot of people in those days. And, you know... I sold a lot of Malconsor, and that was a damn good bottle of wine. And of course, you know, I had to taste each bottle. So. You know that one pretty good. Add it up. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> um, and so that was like, that had a big, that trip had a big impression on me. And, you know, really, you know, I'd already had, um, uh, you know, hankering for Burgundy, obviously, for, for several years now. But that really sort of solidified it for me. 
I remember, I think it was that, and I went with Dominique more than once, at least twice, and maybe more than that. Uh, it was fun. He was great. Uh, at least twice, I'm, I'm not sure, but I remember one time coming back with him, and Boulet had this cheese service, and you know, like a lot of French classic restaurants in those days, and cheese service was important. But you know, in those days, you couldn't get, it was much more difficult to get unpasteurized, you know, there's lots of things that have changed since 1990. Sure. Um, and there was a lot less things available. There was more regulation, I believe. Um, there was a lot less local, you know, farm to table thing. Mm -hmm. And um, Dominique goes, we're going to, through Paris to get back to the airport. He goes, we're going to stop in this cheese store in Paris that I know. He used to live in Paris. I'm going to get some cheese and I'm going to bring it in and we're going to sell it at Boulay. I said, oh, okay. I said, cool. Great. Not a, not a great yeah, idea. I'm down. There's only one thing. Yeah. You can't, you know, bring cheese into the country because mm -hmm. it's illegal because it's a uh, farm product or whatever, you know. So it's so like it's, midnight run. Yeah, so they're going to take it from you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nero and, There's only uh, so many orifices you can put it in. <laughs> so <laughs> That's disgusting, dude. You can delete that later. <laughs> it's like tango and cash over so, here trying to bring in the... Uh, no, this is even better. So he has this genius idea. He goes to the guy, and I go, what are you, you know, I didn't understand what he's saying to him. He yeah. goes, so the guy starts cryovacking all the cheese. He's got a cryovac machine. I guess he does this more than once yeah. in the cheese shop. He's seen a few So there's a, not a small amount of cheese, maybe like 20 pounds of cheese, something that's like some cheese. Uh. Cryovac. Mr. Simon, this, this is his plan. He wraps it around his body. <laughs> <laughs> like what, dude? The cryovac cheese. Yeah, yeah. And puts his jacket on like over it's TNT it. or something. Like yeah, he's, like he's, he's the, a smug, the bomber. You know, he's yeah. going to smuggle the cheese in. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you like know, you things were a little more, more relaxed in those days than they are now. And you know, whatever you didn't have, you know, you just walked through. What I didn't. Who, sure, sure. Who you remembers? The, who remembers yeah. that security in those days? Sure. And so we walk in, get on the plane. Sweet, no problems. Get in really? the air, fly in. You know. Uh, you know, it's dark, you know, it's... Are you sweating it at all? Are you no, like... Oh, I'm like, fine, I'm just sitting next to him. He's good. like, yeah. you know, like an hour and a half later, he starts, you know, like it's like sweat pouring down his face. I go, dude, you, 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 don't, you don't look so good, are you right? And he goes, I'm sweating like a pig, you know, but in a beautiful French accent, it's hysterical. <laughs> and, and I go, what? He goes, it's the cheese. <laughs> the cheese. I think the cheese is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, you can't take it off. You yeah. know, you, after all this, they'll take right. it away. Yeah. And, you know, what can you do? You right. know, it's cryovac. Sweat it out. It's, it's also like, you know, lashed, you know, it's right. like taped to his body. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a lot of bad things could happen if you take it off. Right. So just gut it out. Yeah. And I just remember. For what, five, six hours? I, you know, I just remember finally getting to the restaurant like the next day or something. And, you know, there's all this new cheese for the cheese plate. And I go, there's a story behind that cheese, guys. And you don't want to know what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And all the French guys go, what's he talking about? And, uh, you know, I don't know why I brought that up. It had heroic nothing to do with the Heroic sacrifice. Wine. Heroic. But uh, I remember it's a great story. He was fantastic. So anyway. you eventually do leave Boulay. So eventually I left. Uh, Charlie Palmer hired me as their first wine director. They'd never had one. Oh, okay. And this is another thing is, you know, and we never had a wine director at Boulay, obviously. Sure. It was Captain Dominique did it, it. As, also, as well as all the management and maitre d', which was obviously three jobs. Mm-hmm. So tough to do. Um, and not that many wine directors were. There was like Joe Nace at Lespinas. There was like Roger Dagorn. There was Daniel Jonas, obviously, um, and a few other guys. But there wasn't a wine program or a person to direct it in every two-star restaurant 
or whatever. Or, you know, there just wasn't that many positions. Um, and I remember Jean-Luc went to work at da the Danielle, and that was a big thing. Uh, I remember M Michel Couvreau went to work at Bernadin. Yep, because there are 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he, he left directly like the same time I did. I think, he, 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 I think we closed together. I think so. And uh, he went, I think he went directly there. And yeah, he lasted a long time. Um, and he was, Michel was a machine. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I'd never seen, you know. A lot of people say he's one of the greatest sommeliers ever in New York. Not just only sommelier, but also as captain. I mean, that guy knew service. He worked at Arpege for, when he was like 12. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he was like, he'd been working, you know, and he was on it. Mm -hmm. And that guy knew his wine. And, you know, he knows La Fleve and La Tache. And everybody <laughs> gets one of each. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> and uh, anyway, those, uh, he went off. Um, so, you know, and so Oriole uh, uh, was a very popular, very popular, like three-star restaurant on the Upper East Side with all those connotations and had been very popular for a long time. I don't know. I don't remember how long. Um, and they'd never had a real wine program. The, you know, Vincent, the manager, did it, but he had all his management duties. And so he wasn't on the floor at night. He was in the daytime. So, you know, a really busy restaurant like that, 250 covers a night. Yeah. And this was when Oriol was hitting. This was... It, it had been hitting for a while, but it was still hitting really hard. Like, I'd come from a very busy restaurant, right. and this was a very busy restaurant. Well, you told me, like, you met Robert there. He was a food runner, and he said he'd never made so much money in his life. Right. Like, being I, a food runner at Oriol. Right. It's a story he still likes to tell. And it was, but it was, you know, crushing. Talk about knees. I mean, yeah. he, the food runners there, the kitchen was in the middle of the brownstone, so you you had to go in the ki so you had to go down the stairs into the dining room in this internal space, holding the tray of hot food plus plates on your this arm. Got it. You know, I don't, there's not that many places that do food running like that anymore. Right. But and it was I had a hard time doing three in an arm. That yeah, was a yeah, big yeah. problem for me. I mean, I finally kind of figured it out, but not really. Like, I could never get the third one not to spill the sauce a little bit down yeah. the rim. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a problem. I mean, other guys just do it, did it, but I could never quite that's, master That's when you it. become a sommelier, buddy. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because I was a food runner for a moment. Yeah, every, everyone yeah. should be. Well, yeah. not anymore, though, bro. That's, Why? That's uh, unheard of. Oh, you mean starting at the bottom? Yeah, uh, name the sommelier that's been a busboy or, or... Name the sommelier that started in the last five years that's been a busboy or food runner. I can't, I can't think of one. No, right. it doesn't happen anymore. It's unheard of. In Ooh, fact, they right. would like flip the fuck out if they were asked to do it. Right, right. Like, well, hey, yeah. I have an interest in wine. Great. You want to be a food runner for a few years? Well, that's, you know, there's, of. there's a lot more opportunities. Well, like I was just saying. That, there were maybe. Well, there are a lot more places right where you now. can go work as a wine director. There's right, a lot right, more right, positions. Right, right, I mean, right. you know, before there was 20 and you had to get in line or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, I learned a lot during that period of time. You see, every day there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a, of Just course. Saying. About service, about like looking at the table and being able to figure out what's going on. And that's how you know how to, when to pour yeah. the wine like, and how oh, to have. Oh, it. they're done. I can tell they're done. Oh. You know, it's actually kind of an art. It's Maybe, not like people tell you they're right. done. Maybe you know? I'll have the glasses set before the next course with right. the wine that they ordered exactly. at the same time. And you know, especially when you're in France and you order, if you order the wine at the wrong time, right. forget about it. Well, I'm not saying it was a better way. I'm just saying it's different. It's different than yeah. what you've seen yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. That's one of the big changes in the industry. Um, so anyway, we started there, and um, it was fun. It was to putting together a wine program together, because obviously it's, you're in an editorial position, and, you know, it's a reflection of what you like, and it was, 
you know, I started going to auctions right around auctions. I think it just started a few years before. I think maybe it was like 92 or 94, something like that. Like so this Zachary's is 1996. Partnered up with Christie's like, at that Christie's, time. Yeah. yeah, I used to go to them. Like sometimes. Zachy's was a local retail partner. Right, yeah. exactly. And that's where I met people like Jamie Wolf. Oh, really? You met? Yeah. He worked. Because he used to work for Christie's. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Um, and lots of people. Steve Verlin, I met at auctions. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. I goes, Who's the guy that? with I his hand in the air all the time in the members right, only jacket? Right, right, you know, right, what's right. up with that? Yeah, in the members only jacket. You know, exactly. with the little nylon yep. epaulets. And did he still have the ponytail back then, or was that towards the end of the life? Uh, yeah, I think so. What was the what was the Verlin like? I, I he only met him. He was one time. of those guys. He was super knowledgeable about wine. Oh yeah, uh, he yeah. seemed like super cool, like super. Down he road. wasn't faking it. I mean, that guy. If he, and if he wanted something, and, the hand went up, and he was a statue. Yeah, and you know, don't bid against him because he's going to win. And he would be buying a lot of wine. He always sat in the front, and I'd be like. Who is that guy? Because I had no idea who he was. I guess Veritas was open then, maybe, but I didn't know. I, you know, yeah. I just didn't know him. Or yeah. I and I guess we should say Steve Verlin was one of the original seller guys. He that, put the put list together, together for, for the most part Veritas. for yeah Veritas. When, when, and he was the guy that really believed that people should drink great wine for cheap. That yeah. was that was really Steve. I think like that whole mantra. Right, right. He was, and he was an interesting guy. Um, but and you know I would ask him questions every once in a while. He wouldn't volunteer information, but if you asked him, he just like spit it out like "88's the better vintage." Blah blah blah. I go, "Thanks, thanks, buddy." I don't even know if he knew who I was, but he was there all the time. He was constantly buying super baller wine. So we, um, I used to go to auction, and what, one of the first things I decided was, was there's, you know, I'm on the upper 61st Street and Madison Avenue. Where's the Bordeaux? Because yeah. still in that day, you know, you needed to have. It was also easy, so I just go to auction. And just buy, buy, buy. And you can, there was no other restaurateurs. Maybe, I think I used to see Jean-Luc once in a while or a couple guys, like a handful. But there was no restaurant representation at auction. And I used to just, i go all, all the time. I used to go to Acker. <clears throat> and, you know, it would be Saturday and I'd be like waiting for the end lots, you know, because there'd be lots of stuff at the end, you know. It'd be like, you know, Tompier mixed lots, all the stuff you don't see anymore today. Gentas. That's where I figured out Gentas. I used to order it for, from, buy it in an auction. I tasted it a couple times. And that's where I f- f- discovered Gentas, just by accident. I said, how bad can this 89 Cote Roti be? Right. Because I was looking for Northern Rune wines. And as we all know, there's, there's not a whole lot of real yeah. good Cote Roti producers. Yeah. I mean, to this day. Right. You can name them. I mean, on, on I heard you fingers. talking, I was listening to your Blake interview today, talking about LaVey and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and there's not that many, you know. Uh, so it was fun. And then I would buy all these Bordeaux and, you know, really just go through and open them and experiment with them. It was a real, uh, my most extensive uh, focus on Bordeaux ever. And since I've much less. But when I eventually went on and worked at Zaki's, this knowledge that I had acquired at Oriol was very helpful because mm-hmm. I, you know, used to old Domaine Chevalier, which amazing wines. Back white, in the white 60s. Or red? red. Wow. Really great. Some really, 64 Domaine de Chevalier, great. One of the best Bordeaux I've ever had. Some of the 60s vintages, 70s, I went through all the 70s, 80s. You could constantly reload at reasonable prices. The premium at auction, the VIG was much less then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, go in. Buy, 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 buy whatever you could at the right price, then run back to service because it was always Saturday, you know, and Saturday's a busy day. 
you know, you, they get used to you, you know, you'd pay, wine arrives, boom, on the list. And it was a great way. It's harder to do now. Right. Because the auction market has become so stratified and uh, it just seems to me like any of the interesting little lots, there's so many people because of the internet probably. Sure. You can't, you can't reach in and grab them. Yeah. And I think obviously the internet's the real. I, I swear to God, seven years ago, Jonas told me it was all over with that. He was like, it used to be you could build a really great wine list. Who, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was another one who did it, but he always did it absentee. It and he's a really good, you know, he's a very uh, good auction buyer because he knows I'll pay for this. And he would constantly go in. But he's right. So you now it's all like being driven by the top. You know, it's like the big heavy lumber. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not in a building a restaurant program anymore anyway, but I just think it's more difficult for people. There's still very few people from restaurants, I think, going to these auctions. And, you know, you don't have to because you can do it online. You can do absentee. There's everyone can see. Right. And so that's, that's changed. But it was, a really, it was a really fun experience. I really enjoyed it. And then you went to Zaki's. I went to Zaki's um, because I w- wanted to see something besides the restaurant business. Yeah. And Robert okay. was working there. And oh, he, he said, was you should time. check this out. Okay. And there was a thing, I was thinking, this is 2002, that with the internet, which has obviously changed the wine business on every level. Um, I mean, just the fact that everyone at a restaurant has their wine list on the, online. Sure. Is, a big change. It's amazing. I remember when you used to ask for Veritas Wineless. It was so cool that they could get it to you. This was years ago, you know, that they, they were one of the first right. I remember doing that. Um, so uh, I thought, and I don't think I was the only one that thought, that there's going to be a real seismic shift in the way wine moves around in the future. Mm-hmm. That there's no way the three-tier system can stay the way it is, and that with the transparency that the internet gives you sure it's got to have this big shift it's got to change things the way and i want to see how that could be done so you could i want to see a different aspect of the i want to see an aspect of the business of wine obviously i'd been serving wine for a long time but i want to see a different aspect of it and you know it's tired of being you know every night being on the floor at six o'clock sharp sure you know it's a little constricting showing them the plates and (laughs) well the, the, the process of it didn't bother me it was like never having the flexibility right you know um, uh, so I went, I got a, and they were very interested in changing their Burgundy program, Zaki's. Cause they were mostly a Bordeaux. Cause they were house. built on Bordeaux and Bordeaux futures. And, you know, that was a huge business and still is much like Sherry Lehman and, you know, but they wanted to branch out. Uh, and so, and they were offering a good salary, which I think was relatively unusual for retail. Mm-hmm. And they were not asking for someone with the retail ability or, or experience, but they were asking for someone with Burgundy experience. Burgundy experience. And that, and that was, and his name was Andrew, Andrew, McNamara, Andrew McMurray. And he was smart. You know, he's thinking outside the box and he's, you know, he's taking a shot. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know if it's going to work or not. And so I stayed there for several years until 2009. That's when I met you. You were at Zaki's. Okay. Right. Yeah. Was that right? Oh, yeah. My member specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We met several times before you remembered who I was, though. Like yeah, well, many, you know. many times. Really? Yeah. I, I can't actually quite. 
there was there was a time though that you seemed to recognize me back. Like I would just say hi to you at a tasting because I yeah we had met so many right. times. I would right. just say hi because I didn't want to be rude. Right. right. And then there was a moment and you where didn't have you... to worry about being rude because I had completely forgotten that I met you before. Yeah, it was cool. And then you always you said, well, like, I, I'm a creature of habit. If I start saying I don't want to stop saying hi, right? That's, that's weird. really uncomfortable. You know. So yeah, at one point I realized that there was some flicker of recognition right. in the eyes, and you kind of like brightened up, and I was like, oh, okay. He yeah. actually, I've somehow I've broken through the force field. But. Well, you know, those tastings were like, you know, and I don't go to them as much anymore because I'm on the other side. But, you know, those big trade tastings were, uh, you know, I mean, you could get seriously bogged down very quickly by oh, talking to other people and not focusing on tasting wine. Yeah, oh, no doubt. And I mean, yeah. till, uh, no, that is the reality. to this day, yeah. it's a, I, I was listening to your interview with Blake earlier today. And I was thinking that, you know, first of all, I said the same thing all the time. I agree with him 100%. I almost think that he was talking about me because he was my old salesperson at Oriole, which was, I'm just saying that I agree with him. It's like, just slow down and really focus on what you're doing when you're tasting wine. You know, you, I rarely take bottles of wine out to people and show them to them because of that factor. I'm like, take the bottle, take it home, drink it with dinner, tell me what you think. Now, you can't do that with a lot of people because they turn around and give it to the bus. Right. Or they sell it on the list. Or they put it on the list yeah. and sell it by the glass or whatever. Or use it for the tasting menu. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've heard stories. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anyone personally you know, who's ever no, done that. I've never. Um, I'm just saying I've heard stories. Anyway, so uh, I agree, you know, and there's a lot of people, you know, and you say, like, stop by 3.15, I have four minutes, you know, pour them in the right. glass. I'll That's not how you taste wine. And, you know, uh, it's just a bad way. And, and you know, uh, it's a really, and those big trade tastings are very difficult because, of course, you know, your palate, after you taste through 30 tables of wine, I'm firmly convinced that everyone's palate, now you just are immediately, uh, no matter how good a taster you are, you your palate leans towards the biggest, boldest, uh, you know, well, certainly the, fruitiest. The okay. fruitiest, however you want to describe it. You know, the ones that stick out and the subtle wines that might change, especially with the whole uh, advent of natural wine, where lots of times the wines are changing several times over the course of the bottle. You know, that one, I think oftentimes the wrong wine, or not the wrong wine, uh, a singular type of wine stands out. And so, so, so let's talk about that a little bit because you actually kind of saw the, I remember you said you were at a dinner one time and there was like all natural wines, but nobody... Had, was calling it then that and things were a little screwy and everyone was like what's going on i have no idea what's going on right now what's going on like uh, uh i don't think i remember which wine place yeah, you're talking I, wish, about. I, I wish i could remember the actual wine okay but it was before it was before anybody talked about it and it was i mean you know i mean you know there's obviously many 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 examples of wines that were made in that manner that are not are, 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 we're not at, at referred to, you know, there's all sorts of famous domains in Burgundy that I didn't even know were biodynamic. Uh-huh, yeah. Sure. I mean, I found out that Dujac, and, you know, right. I'm well, pretty friendly with Jeremy Says, yes. and I found yeah. out like a year ago that they were biodynamic or something. So let's let's not uh, skip okay. over, before you got to the taking over the, the wine distribution in New York, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, crew. When a restaurant that you were involved with. I was not involved with crew. A, a restaurant that I saw you drinking at. Frequently. I drank uh, more than my fair share. Okay. So how, how uh, your perspective from the bar chair was? Uh, very, very good. Yeah. It's a very good I like thing. that place. Yeah. <laughs> I had, and thanks to uh, Robert and Roy Welland, um, who was the owner of the restaurant. 
Thank you, Robert and Roy. Thank you, both to you, both of you. Um, some incredible bottles of wine in that place. Yeah, I remember my first Paul A, which I think was maybe the second Paul A. You a crew drinking? Oh yeah, yeah. So Roy brought a Jero of seventy one Latash, which at the time, and I think he spent like six grand on it. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna th- wow say, say a real Jesus number. Jesus Christ, or something like that. But that it, seems like a very small real number. It was it well, yeah, and it was real. And it was yeah. spectacular. Yeah. I mean, wow. I, I drank at least a quart of 71 Latash that night. Um, so I remember that wine, and he was obviously very generous to bring it. So even in those days, that's a lot of m- money to spend for a, a very large bottle of wine yes. so everyone else can drink it. Uh, that was one of the many, and that was, what a wine. And I've had it several times since in different formats. Um, and Jero is probably the best. And that was... An unbelievable bottle of wine. And of course, this is before the days of, um, you know, wine fraud. Yeah. Or before it was speculated at and before, it, which is obviously a big problem now. A concern. Of, it's changed things some. quite a bit. But um, I mean, I had, I remember one dinner that we did downstairs with, uh, I don't even remember who was there. I knew LaFon was there. And I think Robert did the menu. And I remember starting with Koch. Corton Charlemagne was the aperitif wine. And it went from there. And I think it was like, and I think there was, I think Jean-Luc was there from, I can't remember, I can't remember his last name. Uh, we had a Musigny Blanc as well. Like that, that might've been the second wine. And it was just like, I mean, I remember looking at the list of wines. I was like, wow, there are some, yeah. So the, those were the days. And you know, that restaurant, like, that sort of, that thing, those kinds of things ended uh, after 2008. Do you think we're ever going to see that again? Uh, no. Uh, see what again? Those types? Deep seller prices uh, that are uh, what people thought of as reasonable, or at least you could put it together. Uh, well, I don't think you can buy the wine for the same right. price. I well, think, I'm I think, asking you. Yeah, no, you know, I don't think you'll be able to question. find those wines at those prices again. I think that you'll find people with the wherewithal to open a restaurant and and offer great wine for reasonable prices. I don't think that that is complete. I mean, R in 74, I mean. Uh-huh. Okay. I was okay. there a couple yeah. of years ago at the Palais and Wilf was like, he had like Drouin, Musigny, like he opened the case like 37. I mean, you right. know. Right. Um, there's, I think there'll always be people who want to participate and share wine. I just think the basic cost of everything obviously is not coming back. All right. So, and so uh, now what are you up to? Big now guy? I'm doing uh, Grand Cru Selections, which is a distribution company for wine, you know, whole uh, import and distribution in New York. How's it going? And etc. Uh, it's going well. Uh, we've been doing it for a little over two years. We absorbed a company called Willette Wines and made a partner of Liz Willette in April of last year. She's very smart. Um, and Robert's partner and, um, Robert Bohr. Yep. And, uh, it's going well, you know, it's, um, a little of a somewhat unwieldy, uh, just because of the way it was assembled, an unwieldy portfolio of wine that we're trying to. You mean it doesn't really have one geographic focus? It doesn't have one geographic focus. It doesn't necessarily have, you know, if it's a book, I'm not sure if you can really understand its point of view. Okay. Right? Do you think that's a handicap in today's yeah. market where people yeah, are niching out? Oh, yeah. I think so. I think it's a handicap. Because I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think it's a complete... I mean, we're, I'm, I'm very aware of our own 
fault, shortcomings. Shortcomings. Yeah, I'm very, and, and you know, I'm not, you know. It's funny how most people don't want to criticize you, though. I mean, I would be, you know, people used to come to me, and when I was a buyer, and I'd say, you know, it's a good wine, but I've tasted four better Muscadets this week. So stop pretending that that's a great Muscadet. It is what it is, blah, blah, blah. Right. I don't mind people telling me, like, you have a good whatever, and there's better. And I go, you're right. Well, I don't know that the selections are bad. I'm no, the selections are good. I'm, that the point of view tangential. seems to yeah. have uh, changed. Like, it does seem that people are more... Uh, point of view focused and totally and you know there's a distributorship or lots and lots and you know uh, i was talking to aldo sama recently and he said Uh you know everyone wants to get in front of me understandably he's sure he runs an enormous wine program star restaurant and you know there's only x amount of time i have i have uh and there's a guy that means well he's not trying to diss anybody he really wants to be fair yeah he's i mean aldo's the best um like a good guy like he's, he's just a good he's guy. great well-meaning yeah i when i'm around him i act better yes me too you know what i mean mm-hmm. no doubt we went i've traveled with him twice this year into wine regions and uh you know we were in burgundy in the i think in january and you know in the morning he's there you know i stumble out of bed you know you know i am like wow look at all those empty beer bottles you know right, and there's right, aldo right. across the room you know and he's dressed and his you know sharp Mm-hmm. You know, he's got he's a crease cha- in his pants and he's typing yesterday's notes right. like into he's on his chapter two iPad what or whatever. Right. I'm like, right, right. you know, I'm like water. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Parch. I need some water. Anyone got any fries? He was great. Food? And, you know, he's, pff, we had a great time. He's got yeah. a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a lot of fun. And, you know, you can learn something. I mean, the guy's no slouch as a taster. No doubt. He um, pays a lot of attention. He knows, you know, I'm, I pay, you know, I'm like. Yeah, he's he's good. There's somebody who does spend time with the wine, I think. Oh, for sure. He's you know and I mean? and he's very analytical and very you know, rightfully so, he's considered a top sommelier in the world. Um and you know, he's a great person to travel with. Uh but back to the concept of point of view. Uh, yes. So what did I, Aldo say though? He uh, said that all these people want to Oh, I'm sorry. All all these people want to pe- uh, I can't accommodate everyone so how does he and and uh, there's twice as many distributors this point this year as there was last year i go Uh really Mm -hmm. i mean i'm not because i'm not a buyer now i'm not aware i mean i I hear about there's more people and blah 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 right but unlike the rest of the country it seems like in the new york area it's just there's a multiplying effect of distribution which is only good Bringing more things in for competitive prices. Of course. You know, I heard, I, I listened to your thing with Bowler, David, the other day. Uh-huh. And, um, and it's, and he's, you know, it's great that there's all these people, you know, willing to throw, you know, a little pinprick at Southern. It's fantastic. It's great for the diversity of the market. It's helped us as very small book be able to be involved. And people are open-minded. When I was at Oriole, I, I used to have 40 vendors Right. Which is a lot. 40 is what I'm used to. Yeah. I mean, I felt like that was a lot of people. I think it is. And, and it they're like, never quite happy. If you really nobody's do happy enough. maintain 40. I mean, David Newland was happy. They're never let's happy. Be, no, Newland in particular. Well, he, he would always come and be, I don't understand how these certain buyers can have 40 different. Oh, vendors. he wasn't happy yeah. about that. I'm yeah. just saying he was happy with my account. Um, I mean, even Robert Chatterton was happy with my account. Oh, yeah? I poured his Shasla for Did two years. Did you ever meet years. him in person? Yeah. How, how'd that go? 
Uh, well, the first time I met, I went to his office in Rockefeller Center. Did he quiz you? Of course. He, he quizzed quiz. everybody. He gave you blind tasting. Yeah. How'd it go? Uh, well, not so well, because I was early, because I didn't want to be late. So uh, I, was, I got there a little early, out of respect. And I uh, said, Shh, maybe I'll have a cup of coffee. Oh, you didn't know the quiz was coming? No, I didn't know there was going to be a wine tasting. I thought it was a meeting. Hot, hot, and hot so coffee? You burned I think I actually had the temerity to bring the cup of coffee to his office. Oh, boy. So he's probably restrained himself from slapping me. Um, he said, obviously, you can't drink coffee, which you can't. We should not. I said, I didn't know I was having a blind tasting today. And then he went on and said some things like, you know, you can't grow wine on volcanic soil. It's garbage. Mm -hmm. And that was mm -hmm. where he sliced off California off the map and, mm -hmm. you know, various other, various you know, you, things you've called heard all Sicily and the Canary Islands. Well, so, Sicily yeah. didn't exist in those. This right, was sure. years, this is a long sure. time ago. Sicily didn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, the Campania. Australia. No. Uh, um, uh, he was, you know, very entertaining. Mm -hmm. He did the same thing to me that he did to everyone or many people, I believe, which was he said, send, send me your list, right. fax me your list to, uh -huh. what was her name, the assistant? Oh, I can't remember. Marianne? It was a lady, though. Yeah. Marianne? Or? It was a lady. He was one employee. He would right. refer to her. You as. had to fax it. You know, I faxed my list to him, and he said, you know. That's right. You know, you could use a little Shasla by the glass there. And I go, of course I could. From from Boxer? From Switzerland. Oh, from, from Switzerland. From Luc Massy, I think it was. I'm I'm pretty sure it was. I can't remember now. But I had it on the list for years. It was great. I mean, I love Shasla. Um, and, uh, you know, I used to buy wine from him all the time. He was great. I never had a problem with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I never had a problem. I played the, by the, you know, I, he wanted a certain amount of wine purchased every time. He knew I could do X. I didn't buy any Bordeaux from him. I bought all the others, you know. You didn't buy any Bordeaux. I he bought Huet. I bought. He had Susan and stuff. He had a bunch of Bordeaux, but he also had a, rep, there was a reputation at that time that, that not everything was stored at uh, mm -hmm. I've heard that, but I, I didn't know it was just a Bordeaux thing. I thought it was like Rhone and stuff. Yeah, he also had, you know, old Reyes, which was... Oh, I didn't know that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. As far as I know, he still has some. Well, yeah. I don't know. I think he sold off a lot of his... He sold off a lot. Private seller and stuff. Yeah, he had, for years and years, he had all the stuff. You know, he was good. Um, anyway, so uh, as of now, you know, we've kind of got our business going. I wouldn't say it's established. It's, it's, it's going. It's been, what, two years now? Two years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we do, you know, we have an unwieldy book in the sense of, of a lot of expensive wine and not enough of wines that are of us, you know, but more are, of are a, you guys targeting high-end restaurants or is it more of a retail model? It seems like you're targeting high-end restaurants. Uh, we do because we have the connections, right? We have connections, but also yeah. we have expensive wine and those are right. the people that well, can that's afford what I to mean. buy them. Like those two things so tend to go together. Yeah. Right. Uh, chicken and egg. So I don't, you know, good people that we're very good friends with that. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. So, you know, Wells Guthrie, who makes wines for Copan. Oh, okay. He's the first guy that came on board and. Nice uh, guy. Wells, great. I love Wells. I'd known him since Oriole when he, you know. He, I think he was with uh, Daniel Jonas's Jeroboam portfolio at the very beginning. He came into the Oriole and, you know, he saw grass sticking out of his hair. And, you know, he was oh, like, yeah. yeah, he was like, it felt like straight from, you know, Sonoma or whatever. And, you know, he's great. So I've liked him ever since. Uh, we work with the wines from uh, Jean-Louis Chave. And I don't know if you've ever been to Taste There. I have not. 
It's one of the great tastings in, in the world. Mauve. Sleepy. Not a lot happening. <laughs> um, At least above ground, right? Exactly. But it is a fascinating visit. And he's got, you go down there and it, the tasting takes like two and a half hours and he gives you all the components and he explains to you what granite does and how it creates the impression of acidity, although it's not acidity. Right. I love granite and so Right. So uh, he's, you know, those kinds of, you know, it's it like one of the seminal. Gives vi- direction. Exactly. That's the structure. And so he's a great, you know, um, we're, we're working with Jean-Marc Rouleau, who's great. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, you know, everyone likes Jean-Marc. And he's, uh, we, we have his spirits as well, which are really interesting because it's a family. Those are good. And they're really good. And they go back generations. I had a poire the other day. It was delicious. Did you? Yeah. He's, it's really fun. Um, uh, Roberto Conterno. I've heard of him. And he's, I'm sure you've met him. I have. You, you know him because I, I, I read about your visit there. I, He's great. And I've been to Burgundy with him twice. Oh, you have? Yeah. He's come know. over. He drove. One time he brought steaks hey. from Piedmont that were the best steaks we ever had. And uh, he's great. I mean, I love to be around him. He's just, he's a fun guy, right? I mean, who doesn't like to hang out with Roberto? He's, he's a blast. We have, um, I don't know, we have lots of people. So that's like, you know, like everybody. It's like if you're working with people you like. Just come together. Well. It's, you know. It's, it's coming together. So it's, it's a good thing. Well, you're a good guy, bud. I All right. Thank you for being here. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.